can hear this? <laughs> I don't have a water bottle. This is just uh, seltzer for the record, but it's right on the mic. There's a little mic check for us. I really got into that song, and I was like, oh, I need, need some uh, hydration there. Man, what a mess this is, right? Some of you... Some of you internally are like, I cannot worship God until this, this, this trash gets put away. I just can't focus on anything. This is a mess. What is going on? If those of you that uh, checked out our Facebook post, we are starting a new series today called Messy Church. Dealing with the, the mess that is our, our lives. Our life is messy. Life is real. Life is messy. And somehow there's this perception that church is supposed to be the clean place. And have everything together and, and be polished and no voice cracking or anything like that. It's supposed to have it all together. And yet if church is full of people and people are messy, church is messy. And, and somehow we've, we've got it kind of backwards. And what happens sometimes is in church, we, we go out of our way to polish everything and to make everything look good. But it's, it's still messy. But we pretend like it's not. And then the outside world looks at the church and says, you think you're better, you think you're cleaner, you're, you, we, we know the truth, we know that you're messy, uh, but you're just, you're, you're playing yourself. We're, none of us are fooled about the messiness of church, right? And they see it. And, uh, you know, Jesus spoke out against this. He says, you, you're, you're whitewashed tombs, you're dead inside, but you're making it look really good on the outside. You clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is dirty. And something gets a little bit off about the way that we approach church. And my hope today is that we can take away maybe the American church idea of having everything all together, having everything clean, and really embrace the vision that Jesus has for a messy church in his name. You know, Jesus approaches things differently. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, this is what he says. It says, while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, Jesus is here for the mess. He, he's here for the sick. He's here for those that are in need. And as a church, we're in need of Jesus. I think church is just not full of perfect people. It's full of people that know they're imperfect and know their need for Jesus. That's why we're committed. We were like, man, I, I need Jesus a couple times a week. I need Jesus every day. I need Jesus every hour. I, I, I'm in need of Jesus. It's not about being perfect or clean, but recognizing our need for Jesus. You know, Jesus loved being with messy people. He surrounded his life with different challenges. Um, you know, in Luke 3, or sorry, Luke chapter 7, 33, you don't need to turn there, but um, Jesus says, For John the Baptist has come eating uh, no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he's a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was known for being and mixing it up with the messy people, for being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know, the 12 disciples that Jesus gathered around him, they were a messy group of people with a messy past and different challenges, even relationally. The best of them questioned Jesus repeatedly. Talk about a, kind of a messy leadership dynamic. Jesus was like, okay, I'm going to train you up. It's going to be great. And they're like, no, we're not listening. You're, you're not going to die. And, and someone, we talked about that last week, right? Peter rebuked Jesus, and we're like, oh, you, know, you shouldn't do that. But Jesus had messy people and messy situations around him all the time. 
In fact, after Jesus, the chief apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, was a known murderer and persecutor of the faith. Talk about a messy ordeal to launch the church uh, and to get it started. So throughout history, the church has been messy, and Jesus embraces that. It is important to note, as we're talking about messiness, that Jesus, he did take sin seriously. Right? When we talk about mess, we're not talking about, hey, it's all messy, nobody's perfect, let's just turn a blind eye to sin. It's actually the opposite. Let's bring the mess forward so we can deal with it and not be shocked and hide all this stuff and, oh my, scandal in church. No, let's bring it forward and deal with it and be people who are messy but who are close to God and close to one another. So uh, most people, you know, we, we need this message. For some of us, there's a little bit of messiness maybe in your life and, and Satan might tempt you today to say, you know what, I guess this is okay. And my prayer today, just as I was approaching this, I was like, I don't want to give anyone a license to sin today, right? The Bible doesn't allow for that. There's no room for sin. We're called to be righteous. But let's bring our unrighteousness forward, to bring the mess forward so that we can grow as Christians. Amen? Amen. You know, one of the challenges to keeping things clean is that there's different standards sometimes of cleanliness. And maybe in God, there's one standard of righteousness, but we all put a different emphasis on different things. Sometimes we emphasize things that are our own personal struggles higher than others. Sometimes we, we emphasize things that annoy us more, <laughs> and, uh, and we're blind to our own stuff, right? In our house, uh, when it comes to cleanliness, Elaine and I, you could say, have different emphases of, of cleanliness. Basically, Elena likes it clean, and I, I don't, <laughs> uh, which is only partially true. Elena's great at cleaning as she goes. I may, let's wait till it gets bad enough to need to clean and spend the day cleaning. And some people maybe don't like, I don't know, whatever. There's different, different schools of thought, right? And I'm learning to clean as I go because it really, it actually makes life a lot easier. But um, it's a different preference. And so we could look at the house and, and literally see it differently, right? Sometimes we see uncleanness differently. I, until I was married, I never knew that you're supposed to clean the blades of the fan in, in your house, and there could be all this dust collected, and I would never notice until someone pointed out, that's pretty dirty. You should clean that. It's like, oh, man, the scales have come off. Wow, that is dirty. I should get the Swiffer out and take care. Sometimes we just don't see a mess that someone else might see in a very obvious way. I even thought about this in preparing for church and trying to have a mess. I was like, I, I literally was like, I'll keep all of this out in the front. But I was like, you guys are awesome disciples. Someone will serve and clean it up. And I was like, I don't want you to clean it up. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, what if I put, like, you know, sand on the floor? I didn't want to do that. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't make a huge mess, guys. But wanted to, like, basically have different types of mess and have some people come in. And some of you would notice one aspect. And, oh, I didn't even notice the sand or I didn't notice this. Because we all kind of have things that, that bug us a little bit more than other things, right? And so when we bring that into the church, we can have a strong stance on some stuff. But then other stuff in our character or internally doesn't get dealt with. And so we have to kind of embrace the messiness and, and, and use each other's strengths and weaknesses there. You know, there's one standard, but each of us carry different emphasis when it comes to uh, righteousness. Some of us hold high regard towards sexual sin, but neglect other sins like anger and slander and brutishness. Some feel that being unloving is justified if we have the right ideas or our ideas of truth. Some prefer attendance over attentiveness. Well, I showed up, but I had a bad attitude the whole time. While others, they might prefer quality over quantity. Some emphasize our personal discipline, while others emphasize the need for community. And that's good. That makes our community rich, that we have different things that we emphasize. But we have to embrace those differences and the messiness that comes with it. 
Some of us blame everyone else for the mess. Oh, it's the rigidity of our past as a church or those people. That's what makes church a mess. Or it's the laxity of the present. This generation, they're so lax. They like these songs and it's the same thing over and over again. They just don't care. You know, or sometimes we, um, it's the change in practices or worship or music or order. And we can kind of blame what's going on in the world around us. And we throw around all the blame for the mess. And what we're really saying is if the church just cleaned up what I think is a mess, things would be perfect. If the church just cleaned up what I think is a mess, we'd be in good shape. And we're missing, kind of embracing the messiness that all of us bring. And it's not just about what I see as a mess, but adapting and learning and growing and, and sharing kind of our convictions with one another. And um, it's not about having a sterilized, clean church that makes us feel better, but rather a church that is messy and points to the glory of God, not to the cleanness of church. The glory of God shines in the mess of life. God selected Abraham, and he lied and was deceitful. Then he worked through his deceptive and vindictive family until he rose up a slave nation. Then he worked through human history with immoral, philandering, drunk, prostituting, rebelling people to bring Jesus into the world. Then he selected 12 misfits, a murderer, an outcast to display his kingdom. And now we stand in the aftermath of nearly 2,000 years of failures, cheaters, and messy behavior within the church. And yet God will be glorified. Through all the mess, it points to our need for grace and our need for God, and God is glorified through that. So today, uh, my hope is that we can embrace the mess together as we kick off our four-week series on Messy Church. Uh, our, our title for our sermon today is Messy People. We're going to talk about messy people together. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father God, I'm so grateful to, to deal with the mess, to talk about the messiness of church. I think um, I'm, I'm the kind of person, God, as you know, that likes everything in its place, not in the house, but just emotionally and mentally and, and um, all of that. And when it's not, I just get so out of sorts. And yet you, your son wasn't like that. When he walked around, every, there's nothing went according to plan, and yet he continually glorified you. I pray that we can embrace the, the attitude of Jesus this morning, that we can imitate him, and that we can uh, be a church that's okay to be messy together because we're, we're in it for you. We're not about having a clean church, God, but help us to embrace the aspects that, that help lead us back to you and to glorify you. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, our, our sermon today is about messy people. So let's start with a misconception that I think happens to believers, and that is you become a Christian and now your life is fixed. Anyone have that perception maybe going into becoming a Christian? If I just become a Christian, then my life will no longer be messy. Things won't be hard anymore. I will just wake up. The bird will come and sit on my window and say, you know, have you read your Bible today? Oh, no, you know, it's going to be lovely all the time. You're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I've been watching Snow White with Anna, so I'm thinking about talking animals, right? But um, <laughs> anyway, we just think it's going to be easy. But there's challenges. We're born again. We're a new creation. Uh, the, the scripture here in, in uh, um, go ahead and show the next scripture. In 2 Corinthians reminds us, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. This is awesome, but sometimes we carry our old self into the new creation. And, and why is that? Well, 
we're still in the same situation we were in before. We, we still have generational sin that's affected us over the years. We have personal sin that we're trying to, to win over and deal with in our character. Sometimes even our victories can be used against us because we can get prideful and think and we get self-reliant. And so all these things can kind of bring out the old self and bring out the mess. And the result, I believe, is that when the messiness kind of starts to bubble up and the messiness of life or in our Christian life comes in and we're supposed to be new creations, I think it can take us to a few different places, three in particular. When, when we see the mess in our own life, what we can tend to do is we ignore it. That's option number one. We just ignore it. We pretend like it's not there. We minimize our issues. We put in less effort for growth. And then we also resent those that are trying to help us grow. And so we say, what mess? What are you talking about? The, the, the fan blades are perfectly clean. I don't know what you're talking about. And we just kind of ignore the mess that's there. And the people in our life, the people outside of church can see that. The people that we're around can see all of that. And, and yet we, we kind of willingly become blind to our own mess. The other option, kind of option number two, is that we become paralyzed by our mess. And we think, what is wrong with me? I'm a hot mess. Uh, this is not good. What is wrong with me? This can never be different. I can never change. Something must be wrong. Why aren't the people helping me enough? We get resentful towards those people in our life. My situation is too hard. My situation excuses me from discipleship. It's really hard, and, and no one's perfect, so I'm not going to try anymore because I, I just can't do it. And so we kind of double down on the mess, and we're like, it's too messy. I've done that physically in a room. You know, start cleaning your room, and you're just like, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'll, I'll try, you know, next spring cleaning, you know, whatever. Next, next wave of cleaning. I mean, it's got a smirk there, right? But we just get overwhelmed, and so, you know, one option is to ignore it. The other one is just to kind of dwell in it and just be overwhelmed and, and never take any action either. That can lead to complacency, and lukewarmth can set in. And we've come kind of settled on a, a, a standard of Christianity that's lower than what Jesus has called us to. And, and we, it sounds humble because we're like, I'm just overwhelmed, I'm, I'm not good enough. It sounds humble, but it's a false humility that's really saying this mess is bigger than God. And it's missing it. And option number three is that we can allow sanctification to do its work in our life. It's a big religious word, a Jesus word, sanctification. It's simply the act of making something holy. If you're a Christian, if you've been baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit is working in you to sanctify you to make us more and more holy in Christ. And uh, this is talked about in, in Hebrews, uh, this idea that um, we are being made holy and being brought into completeness. We're also, uh, the Bible in Philippians talks about God finishing the work that he began in us. So there's this idea that God is working in our lives to sanctify us. And we have to embrace that. And by embracing it, we can deal with the mess, we can bring the mess forward, we can, we can talk about the things in our lives that aren't as they should be. So our format to help us not ignore the past, not to uh, get overwhelmed and, and just stay, or not, sorry, ignore the mess, not to stay in the mess, but our, our format today is to lead us towards embracing the work of sanctification. To do that, we're going to be in Romans chapter 2 and 3, and we're going to be in 1 John 1. So we're going to do a little bit of Bible gymnastics and go back and forth between those passages just a little bit. Three brief points today, and they're all about perfection, or rather, imperfection. First point um, is illumination, not perfection. It's not about perfection, but rather illumination. Let's check out 
Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. All right, Romans 2, 17 says this. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of the knowledge of truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Welcome to church. You know, that's a strong statement, right? But what, what's being said here is, it's, it's I think, pretty clear uh, the Jews, there was a, basically a conflict in the early church between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews were kind of like, hey, we've been at this longer than you guys. We know what it's like to be devoted. Take a look at us. We're here to teach you. But in doing so, they, they kind of fell into the trap that Jesus warned them about, of being these whitewashed tombs, of having the right, you know, they, they knew how to follow the Jewish law. They knew how to do the stuff. They had knowledge of God, but something was missing. And they kind of lorded it over some of the Gentiles that, that, that were in the church, some of the non-Jewish people that were converted to Christianity there in the church. And so Paul is warning them. He's saying, you teach others, but are you teaching yourself? Are you taking the time to actually teach yourself and deal what's going on? You know, by admitting that we're a mess, instead of taking on this, this posture of I've got it all together, if we have this posture of, man, I, I'm a mess. I continually need God. That helps us maintain a place of humility where God can continue to teach us. If we take this posture of humility of, I need God, we get to see God coming through for us over and over and over again. And we, we create this opportunity to experience God and to live out sanctification. Jesus in John 17 uh, prayed that the disciples would be sanctified by God's truth, you know, by learning what is true. When we admit that we're a mess, we allow ourselves to learn what renewal looks like in our need for God. And when we admit that we're a mess, um, it helps us stand in humility to the greatness of God. I don't think, by the way, that most Christians feel like they've arrived. I've yet to meet a Christian that's like, that would say like, oh, I, I've arrived. And so I think sometimes we're like, hey, we haven't arrived and we got to be reminded of that. And everyone's sitting there like, oh, I know, <laughs> I know I haven't arrived. I, I'm well aware of my issues. But I think this kind of act of, of thinking that we've arrived or, or having this place of I'm here to teach, but I don't need to be taught. I think it's lived out in a little more subtle way. I think what happens is we ignore our need for teaching, and we ignore the call to change in the areas that are uncomfortable to us. And so we kind of minimize those things, or again, complacency settles in. And so we don't say, oh, I'm good, I've arrived. We just turn down the volume of the voice calling us to go forward. Does that make sense? And so we don't, we don't oh, I've arrived, we just say, I, I, think, I think it's fine where it is. That's the same thing because it yields the same result. It's a complacency. It's a lukewarm. And Jesus says that makes him sick to his stomach in Revelation 3. And so we're, we're called to say, no, no, no. Let me have this posture. Things are not as they should be. There's, there's sin in my life. And not be so broken by that, but to say, what do I need to do? How can I bring this into the light? Which leads us to 1 John chapter 1. So keep a finger in Romans 2 because we're coming back to it. But in 1 John, some of you have a, 
uh, phone Bible. And I don't know how to keep a finger in a phone Bible, but over in 1 John chapter 1. So here's the antithesis of, of thinking that we've arrived. It's the, the opposite here in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Lost my place there. Um, oh, and we're done. <laughs> the truth is not in us, right? And we, we're missing something. And so basically the call here in 1 John 1 is don't walk in darkness. And I think we often associate walking in darkness as doing the wrong stuff. And there's truth to that, right? Darkness and sin are, are, are closely related all throughout Scripture. But here it's not just talking about make sure you don't do the wrong stuff. But he's saying don't keep it in the dark. Don't, don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to others. But bring it into the light. Don't walk in the darkness. Don't stay ignorant of the issues that are in your life. Because God isn't ignorant of those issues. And odds are the people in your life aren't ignorant of those issues as well. Jesus routinely used the idea of walking in darkness to define the religious leaders' ignorance of their own sin. They were blind. They were the blind leading the blind, right? The, the stain on the shirt, the lettuce in the teeth, right? That, that, hey, they're just ignorant of what's going on. And if we don't walk into the darkness, if we're aiming for perfection, then we're going to stay ignorant because all the stuff that's in the way of our perfection, we're just going to shove down as, as deep as we can. But if our aim is illumination to come into the light, then, then we, can, we can bear the mess forward. We can have a, a mess around us and, and embrace that and be okay with it. And sometimes we need those things exposed. We can't stay ignorant. I, uh, I did a, a wedding. I got to do John and, or not John and Tanya's wedding, um, Sam and Linnea's wedding uh, last week, which was really encouraging. And the wedding I, I did, uh, was my fourth wedding, my second wedding was Cam and Sydney down in, in Atlanta. It was really encouraging down in the state of Georgia. It was awesome. I was excited. I, uh, it was my, only my second wedding. And I did the wedding, and I felt, I felt pretty good about it. I felt like, hey, I, 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 I felt like I did a good job. They got married, you know, check. You know, they, I, 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 didn't, I didn't mess up. I didn't, you know, sneeze or, or whatever. It, it went fine. I, it went well even. And then uh, someone pulled me aside, and they're like, great job, you know, whatever. Just so you know, do you know what you said at the end? I was like, what did I say at the end? And apparently I said, by the power vested in me by God in the great state of Atlanta, you're now husband and wife, which it's the state of Georgia, not the state of Atlanta. And everyone there is like, Atlanta is not a state, bro. And I was like, oh. But I was kind of ignorant of my mistake there until somebody pointed it out. You know, that's the, the lettuce in my teeth. What I'm saying with that is, and I can just embrace it and laugh about it, but we need people in our life to point out truth, right? To point that things out in our life. We need to be willing to get real with God and get real with people and not just stay ignorant and kind of miss, miss something that might be important. The, those stakes were low, but when we're talking about our spirituality, the stakes are high. We don't want to miss the things that are important. So point number two, you know, point number one was illumination, not perfection. Point number two is confession, not perfection. Coming into the light is, is, involves the act of confession. Um, let's go back to Romans 3. So back to Romans, but not 2, but we'll go to chapter 3. Verse 9, it says this. What shall we conclude then? 
Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and all together became, uh, become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Again, welcome to church. Encouraging. <laughs> but he says, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Everyone has fallen short, as we'll talk about a little bit later. But everyone has a need for God. And what was going on for them is they were overly concerned with the issues of others. They're, they're focused on what's going on with the Gentile. And, and Paul brings it back and he says, no, you too are not righteous. It's not just, it's you as well. And Jesus does this uh, in a profound way. In, uh, in Luke 13, people bring this bad news that, that has happened basically with, with Pilate mixing the blood of some of the sacrifices. And there's this kind of bad news that happens. And they bring it to Jesus. And Jesus says, do you want me to comment on that? Here's my comment. You need to repent. And he brings it back to them. And I think what can happen in our life is we can be overly concerned with the mess in other people's lives that we miss what it is that we need to grow in. This point was originally, yeah, you. I'm talking to you. Because <laughs> we can sit here and be like, oh, yeah, so-and-so really needs to hear this. Or, I, hope, I hope they're here or I hope they're taking notes. But we kind of miss it. But it's us. We need to, to deal with the stuff that's in our life. We need to illuminate the mess. We need to bring things into light. We need to confess. It's us. You ever waved or, or seen somebody waving to you? But you're not sure if you know them. And you're like, are they waving to somebody behind me or are they waving to me? And you calculate, maybe you're not like me, but you calculate, okay, I'm getting closer. I still don't recognize them. Do I wave? <laughs> I don't want to look back. Because then if you look back, they're like, no, no, not you. Know, not you. You're this whole moment. Hi, Josue. Are you waving to me? Okay, there you go. Anyway, but it, it's that moment, right? But sometimes you're like, they're not talking to me. And they're like, yeah, you. I'm waving to you. And you're like, oh, oh, it's, it's you, Josue. Nice to see you. <laughs> But it's kind of like that. Like, we can be like, do I wave? Is he talking about me? What's going on? This other person. And, and God in this passage is like, yeah, you. We all have unrighteousness. We all have a mess. It's why Jesus says, deal with the blank in your own eye. Still deal with the, the specks in the eyes of others. But we can't be ignorant of the stuff in our own life. We got to deal with the mess in our life. And that's what confession is all about. We got to confess the mess. I think those words rhyme for a reason. We gotta, we gotta confess the mess. We gotta deal with it, and this leads us back to First John chapter one. Doing the Bible gymnastics. Back to First John. We gotta be willing to confess. You know, we don't really preach about confession a whole lot. We kind of imply it. We talk about how that's good. It gets thrown in with a few practicals. But I, I want to double down a little bit on our need to be Christians who confess our sins. In, um, in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. We need to acknowledge the sin in our life to confess. This says, if we claim to have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. Again, I don't think anyone claims to have no sin. I've yet to meet a person that says, I don't have sin. I think our claim adds a few letters to there. Instead of saying no sin, we say, um, I have um, no sin that's, or sorry, we add some letters. 
I had a whole adding letter thing. It didn't really work. But instead of saying we have no sin, we simply say, I don't have sin that, that is that big of a deal. Does that make sense? And so it's not that we have no sin. We, we just we minimize it. And then it stays, and we end up being self-deceived. We're called to confess. It's important for us to illuminate our sin, to come into the light, to share what's going on. This is talking about confessing both to God and to people. Both are crucial to our faith. There's scriptures about both all throughout uh, the New Testament. Our need to bring forth the sin in our life. To share with a, tr a trusted brother or sister, this is what's going on. I need help. To bring it forward to God in brokenness. God, I've, I've sinned against you. We see that lived out in the Psalms. Uh, just this brokenhearted turning to God and confessing our sin to God. But confession is so freeing. Like most people fear confession, but after confession feels so relieved. Right? There's this, oh, I can't confess, I'm hiding this. But every person I've met that is like, man, I got open about stuff in my life and, and, and dealt with it feels freer, feels lighter. But it's the, we kind of psych ourselves up on the front end. How's this person going to respond? Is this really that big of a deal? What's going on? But it's so freeing. It's so refreshing. I got open about some stuff with a couple different brothers this past week, and it was so helpful. Just some stuff in my character and some laziness that was just embarrassing. I don't, I don't want to be known as someone who wasn't working hard. And I, I kind of had to share about that a little bit in some situations I was in. But it was so freeing, and I was, like, motivated to not be lazy anymore because I got free. Otherwise, I was even more lazy because I felt bad about my sin, and it was doubling down on just the guilt and the shame, and it wasn't working. And so confession is freeing. I think we should celebrate confession a little bit more than we do. It should be something that we celebrate. I wish in the Catholic faith there could be like a, in the confessional booth, like confetti cannons, right? When you come out of the booth, you're like, hey, you know, there's confession. I wish like that concept could be in our idea of confession together. Like this is celebrated. Not that sin is minimized and, oh, hey, thanks for being open. We're not going to talk about this anymore. No, let's call each other righteousness, but let's celebrate confession. We celebrate confession, by the way, and not the sin. We celebrate the relationship that allows for confession. Praise God, I have people in my life to talk to. What a gift that is. What a gift it is to have people to talk to. I cannot, I cannot emphasize that enough. Sometimes we take advantage of that and we forget that this is unique, to have people in our lives to talk about the stuff that's going on, to talk about our marriages, talk about our moments where we lost our temper with our kids and we're filled with shame and we could shove it down and shove it down and shove it down and it'll eat away at us the rest of our lives. Or we could bring it into the light and experience repentance and refreshment. Confession, not perfection. We celebrate the hope that comes from admitting our mess. We celebrate the recommitment that's needed in Jesus. Acts 3, 19, you don't need to turn there, but it talks about repentance, and it says, repentance brings refreshment. Yeah. Repentance brings refreshment. Why do we resist repentance so much? If the promise is that it will lead you to being refreshed. Some of us are feeling kind of miserable in our Christianity right now, and we don't know what to do, and if this situation was different or this situation, no, if you repent, you will be refreshed. And if that's not true, the Bible ain't true. Right? So, so put it into practice. Test it out. Repent and experience the refreshment that comes. And by the way, I don't think it's just, you know, internal refreshment. I think when we repent, the people in our sphere start to experience refreshment. Like, oh, wow, there's something different going on here. The people in our groups, in our small groups, they're encouraged, they're inspired. And repentance breeds other repentance, right? And it's just... This, all this repentance is going on in the church and yeah it's messy but it's filled with repentance and we're a messy church but we're just good at repenting 
The gift of that is what? We're going to be refreshed. We're going to experience refreshment. If we embrace confession, that leads to the repentance that helps us experience refreshment in Jesus. It's not about perfection, but it is about confession. Lastly, let's look back at Romans chapter 3. You can probably guess what the practical is for today's lesson. Confess. <laughs> Find somebody to confess to. But uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 21 says this. Uh, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law of the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's emphasized here, all have fallen short. But then it says all are justified. We can all experience redemption. The, the third point is redemption, not perfection. It's not about being perfect because we can't be perfect. But it is about experiencing God's redemption and his love and his justification of our sins. Man, that's what it's about. And when we experience that redemption, it changes our life. Jesus is not offended by your mess or your sin. He came to deal with it. He steps in. We see in the beginning of the, this sermon, right? He just steps into the mess of people's lives. And Jesus wants to step into the mess of our lives. That's what he's all about. Let's, let's look here in uh, 1 John 1. We'll go backwards a little bit in uh, verse 1 and 2 in 1 John. Redemption, not perfection. It says, that which was from the beginning, in verse 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 1. We're not going backwards, although that's good too. My dear children, I write this to you, not so that you will not sin. You read that, you're like, what? Isn't that the whole point, so we stop sinning so much? But I'm writing this, not so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, um, I, I read that wrong, I'm sorry. My dear children, I write this to show you that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Excuse me, I read that wrong. But there's this idea that Jesus says, hey, hey you sin. The goal is to not sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. Doesn't mean it's okay, but you have an advocate. Doesn't mean that, that not striving for perfection is, not, is okay. But we have an advocate. We have redemption. And I think it's so important for us. All of us have been changed by the grace of Jesus. We need to, to hang on to this uh, idea of his redemption. You know, God uh, has often used messy situations. You look at the life of Abraham or David or Rahab or Mary and Joseph. Messy situations. Sinful situations. And yet God steps in and acts as the advocate to redeem those situations. At uh, PTP back in January, our parents, teen, and, and preteen devotional, um, uh, Matt and Katie Fisk came in and talked about just the messiness of family life. And there was this tagline that um, basically you look at all the families of the Bible, they're all messed up. 
the tagline is that God uses messed up families because that's all there is. God uses messed up people. Why? Because that's all there is. God uses us even though we're messy. A couple of practicals for us to, to close with today. And the first is just accept that you're a mess. Hope you feel encouraged by that and not discouraged, but accept that you're a mess. Confess it. Step into the light. Talk to somebody about the mess in your life. And then accept one another's mess. I think sometimes we can want to run from the messiness of one another's lives. But accept one another as a mess. And then understand as a church, guys, it's our mess. We're in this together. I think when we stand outside the church, oh, the church is this, the church is that, we forget that, oh, I am the church. The church is me. I'm, I'm part of this, right? And it's our mess. If I'm a mess and you're a mess and we're part of the church, the church is a mess and it's our mess. And, uh, you know, over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about our messy relationships, our messy community, and uh, we'll just keep talking about mess. Hopefully it won't be messy on stage again uh, next week. But it's important for us just to embrace the messiness of our Christianity. And I want to close with a, an illustration here from, uh, uh, from 9-11-2001. Um, after the terrorist attacks, there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of people trying to get out of the city. Because it wasn't known. We can kind of look back and we know it was kind of over at a certain point. But at the time, it felt like attack after attack after attack. What's going to happen next? And so people were rightly so terrified to get out of Manhattan. But all the bridges were closed. All the tunnels were closed. There, there was no way to get out. And a few people would hop on, on some boats. And these boats would carry people uh, from Manhattan over to a safer place. And uh, there's a few fishermen or a few tugboat operators that realized, even though they'd gotten away from Manhattan, they realized people, people are on the edge. People are at risk of dying i got to go back. Their, their boat might not have been like a boat that holds people. It might not have been clean. It might not have been what it needed to be. Sure. But they said, but we got to get back. It's not about having everything all together. we got to get back there. And so a few started going back, and they put out this message to all the boats. Any boats in the, in the area willing to come and rescue people, come. And I love this picture and the one right before it of just boat after boat coming in and picking up people. 500,000 people were evacuated by boat. The largest uh, evacuation by boat that's ever been done. Bigger than Dunkirk back in uh, the, the World War. This moment where it didn't matter. I don't have to have the perfect boat. It, they had tugboats. They had um, yachts. They had all, you know, all kinds. Anything that, that could be on the water just went. And it's this epic moment. There's a great kind of mini documentary about it that Tom Hanks edits. It's called Boat Lift. Go home and check it out. But it's this, you know, instead of an airlift, these boats, boat lift people out of Manhattan. I think for us as Christians, if we can broaden our horizon, it's not about having everything polished, having everything together. It's just about taking some action. With the mess that we have, let me do something. Let me do something to glorify God. Let me get into a study. Let me confess my sin. Let me go and love people. Let me love my neighbors. Let me encourage somebody. Let me read my Bible. Let me pray. Let me go and serve the poor. Whatever it is, let's do something, church. And, and not, not try to pick up every piece of trash and wait till it's perfectly clean and then act. But let's take the mess with us. Let's be a messy church that loves people and enters into their messy lives together. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's be a messy church together. Let's uh, stand and sing one more song. <laughs>